So we are actually continuing our sermon series in global missions because I started a week early, even though the plan was to start today, jumped into it, did a sort of missions uh, 101 last week, looked at what the actual call to missions is all about. So I guess today is sort of like a 201, okay? It's going to look at sort of the purpose behind missions, the, the meaning behind it, that it magnifies God. It's meant to be a sort of pleasing aroma, an act of worship to our God, our Creator. Uh, as I mentioned, we had some big announcements. We had one today. Um, we have some missionary guests who will be speaking. Um, one you'll know very well, by the way. Uh, maybe two that you'll know really well, as we'll see. Um, and then lots of information about missions like we just saw in the video. And my main goal during this fall is to really get us excited about missions, to celebrate it, uh, if I could, to inspire us as a church about what God is doing around the world and what he's calling us to do as part of his global missions, that ultimately that we would worship and praise God as we reach the nations. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15, so we're kind of bouncing around scripture. We often go through a book from beginning to end, a book of the Bible, but um, during this sort of mission series, we'll be bouncing around a little bit, looking at some key passages that talk about missions. And today, last week we were in Acts 1. Today we're in Romans 15, verses 14 to 21. Romans 15, 14 to 21. You'll have it on the screen, or if you'd like to look at your own Bible or your own phone that has a Bible app or whatever you have there. Romans 15, 14 through 21. Global missions glorifies God. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and study, the proclamation and the application of his word this morning. Here's where we're going in verses 14 to 16. Global missions reaches people as an offering to God. It's an act of worship pleasing to him. 17 to 19, global missions fulfills the ministry of the gospel. It fulfills it, the ministry of the gospel. And 20 to 21, global missions is ambitious 
to reach the unreached in particular. So 14 to 16, Global Missions reaches people as an offering to God. Paul is writing to these Roman Christians. By the way, he's never been to this church. Paul started, the Apostle Paul started multiple churches in the ancient world, Thessalonica, Philippi, Colossae, but the church in Rome, he didn't start. Uh, In fact, it's the largest, probably the most influential church of the ancient world. Rome was the New York City of the ancient world. I mean, it was the biggest city. Who started the church in Rome? We have no idea. I know Roman Catholicism claims it was Peter. It may have been, it may not have been. Our historical evidence for that is pretty minimal. Either way, some people came to Rome, preached the gospel, and started a church. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, reaches out to them by way of a letter. And it's his longest letter and perhaps most important letter. It lays out the theology of the gospel perhaps more clearly than any other part of the New Testament. And what he says to them as we're sort of coming to the end of this letter, the 16 chapters, this is 15, is that you Roman Christians are full of goodness. You're full of goodness. God's work among you is clear. It's evident. You guys are being transformed by the grace of God. That you have knowledge of God. So Paul's not saying, you guys don't even know God, let me teach you. He's saying, you do have a knowledge of God. You study his word. You have a relational knowledge with God. In fact, you guys are able to teach one another. So high compliments for this church in Rome. And he says, even though I've had to write some bold things, and if you read the entire book of Romans, you'll see Paul does write some bold things to the Roman uh, Christians here. Um, But he says, well, I've done so because of my office, because of the grace given to me to be what I'm called to be. And by that, he's not talking about the grace that saved him. He means the grace that called him to be an apostle. And he describes his role then as a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. The whole world can sort of be sort of broken up in Israel's perspective between Jews and Gentiles. So any other ethnicity besides Jewish is a Gentile world. Paul is called to reach particularly Gentiles. And the 12 apostles, one of them was Judas was replaced by Matthias, are called to primarily reach Jews, which is exactly the opposite of what you might have expected, by the way. (laughs) Paul, the most educated, rabbinically trained of all the apostles... You would think he'd be called to reach very educated Jews, right? Pharisees and rabbis and so forth, Sadducees. No, he calls them to the Gentiles who were completely ignorant of God at the time. And the fishermen and tax collectors and relatively uneducated Jewish apostles, he calls to reach the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and so forth. So God does the opposite of what you think. Why? Because it's about him. It's not about us. It's not about our qualifications and our resume. God calls, and we're called to follow and to serve him. But he describes then his work, sort of on the mission field, reaching Gentiles, as priestly. Now his point is not that he's a priest, call him Father Paul. That's not his point. His point is to say that his work, his ministry, is a priestly service. And in that priestly service, the offering that is brought to God are the lives of these Gentiles who have been redeemed by the grace of Christ, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, meaning they are made into the image of Christ daily and a pleasing aroma to him. It's the offering to God. He pictures the work of reaching the nations, and particularly in this case, reaching these Romans here, as an act of worship. 
Now he's talking about a sacrifice here, an offering, not a substitutionary atonement. That was a big part of what what offerings were all about. But here it's more like a thanksgiving offering, a pleasing aroma in the nostrils of God. God doesn't have literal nostrils in heaven, but it's a picture used in scripture often that when someone offers their best to the Lord, it's as if he breathes it in and it's a pleasing aroma. Seeing these Gentile lives redeemed out of sin and idolatry, brought into a living relationship with their creator, is pleasing to God. Friends, missions is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. When we celebrate what God is doing among the nations, when we hear about what God is doing in Far East Asia and North Africa and in the Middle East and in South America and lives being turned away from idolatry, turned away from being steeped in sin and brought into worship of the one true and living creator, creator and bring brought into a worshipful relationship with him, it is pleasing to God. One of the reasons why we're focusing on missions is because it's part of our worship to recognize what God is doing around the world. When we give up a week of our vacation to go on a short-term missions trip, by the way, somebody asked me, good question, they said, When's the next short-term mission trip planned? We don't know yet because with COVID, things are kind of shut down. But I'm going to guess that our new pastor from missions will be eager to lead a short-term mission trip soon. So <laughs> that day will be coming soon. When we spend time in our day praying that the nations would come to know the Lord, and praying for our missionaries to be effective and fruitful and safe, when we take of our own, what God has provided for us and we give a portion of that to missions, we tithe to our local church. Part, by the way, our church then tithes part of that to missions. Right now we give 5%. We're going to hope to you know, see that at 10%. But above and beyond that, we give to missions. That is an act of worship pleasing to the Lord. When we devote a season of our life, or maybe even all of our life, to reach the unreached, It's an act of worship. I had mentioned last week Charlotte White. Charlotte White was a member of First Baptist Church. And here's a cool part of our history. She was the first single woman ever sent out to the mission field. Um, And uh, back then they sent married women. They sent single men. They did not send single women. And there has to be a first. She was the first. She was a member of our church here. And actually, um, Brenda and I have been in contact with someone who's writing a... Where are you, Brenda? Brenda? Somewhere. Oh, there you go. Writing a biography on Charlotte White, which is pretty cool, and we get, sort of sent us some biographical information. She was so she was born in 1782, died in 1863. So that's the time period she lived in. She learned Hindi, not an easy thing to do. She wrote a Hindustani spelling book for kids to teach these Hindi-speaking children. She herself, single woman, negotiated with indigenous leaders to construct buildings for sites and to construct buildings for schools. She then started schools. She taught classes as a teacher herself, and she trained other teachers. Doesn't end there. She did eventually marry. She married another fellow missionary by the name of Joshua. They had six children. Joshua died. Left as a single mom of six children, she stayed on the mission field, continued to oversee 10 schools and several worship sites, 
continued to manage the mission with no other missionaries to assist. And get this. She did all of this by earning and using her own personal funds. She self-funded all 11 years of serving in India as a missionary. Do you think that is a pleasing aroma in the sight of our God? Most certainly it is. And when we look at our brothers and sisters around the world of all colors and languages and ethnicities, and we look upon them with love, that is an act of worship to God. When we look at Muslim-dominated countries like Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran, and our primary desire is not to conquer them, but to see them transformed by the grace of God and come to know their Savior, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that is a pleasing aroma in the sight of our God. Missions is an act of worship. Missions fulfills the gospel, verses 17 to 19. It fulfills the gospel. Paul says here, uh, he talks about how the ministry of the gospel is fulfilled. He says, I'm proud of my work for God. Nothing wrong with being proud, by the way, if you're proud of the right things, right? You don't want to be conceited and arrogant and pompous and all that type of thing. But if you're proud of God's work and what he's doing through you, that's a good thing to be proud of. Of course, Paul quickly follows up his pride at the work of God, his work for God with but I couldn't have done any of this without Christ, right? This is what Christ has done through me. God has used me, Paul's saying, to reach the Gentiles to bring them into obedience. And by that he means two things. Number one, what's sometimes called the obedience of faith. So God commands us, believe in Jesus Christ. If we disobey that command, we're in disobedience to the gospel. If we respond by faith, we're obeying the gospel. The obedience of faith, but also the obedience that comes out of faith, a life now transformed by the grace of God, living in relationship with our Creator. He talks about how God did this through word and work, that there were signs and wonders being done. By the way, I think it's true that we see perhaps more miracles, more sort of supernatural works of God Um, on the mission field than at home for a very simple, obvious reason. When God is bringing the gospel to a new land, he testifies to that through through doing what is absolutely impossible. Does God do the miraculous and establish reach countries like the U.S.? Of course he does. Of course he does as well. But perhaps he calls us to strengthen our faith and put our hope in him without always seeing the supernatural as we await eternity. Here, though, is how the gospel is fulfilled. Missionaries bring the gospel to a new land. They faithfully preach and witness or to a new people group. Natives of that country come to know Jesus as their savior and they start meeting together as a church. And then the missionary gets out of the way. (laughs) And now you have a church of native people who are faithfully worshiping the Lord there Missionaries today are very careful not to interfere with that. They don't want to become the new pastor there. If anything, they want to raise up local natives so that they can take ownership of their own church. And then that church begins to start to reach their neighbors. And eventually that church begins to send out missionaries of their own. By the way, that's what happened 
in Haverhill, Massachusetts. <laughs> That's why we exist here today. It's what happened in the UK. I don't know if you know this, but there was a time, of course, when the Britons were not reached for the gospel. I think specifically of the Irish. Um, the Irish were pagans. They were uh, into all different types of odd worship until a man named Patrick decided to go there and reach them. So, by the way, St. Patrick is not Irish. I don't know if you know that. He's English. He went to Ireland to reach the Irish. He was actually enslaved by the Irish at one point in time, escaped, which is very rare, and then got a vision from God to go back to the pagans in Ireland and to reach them for Jesus, and he went. That's what Patrick said, for daily I expect to be murdered or betrayed or reduced to slavery if the occasion arises, but I fear nothing because of the promises of heaven. For I have cast myself into the hands of Almighty God who reigns everywhere. As the prophet says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Friends, we need to fulfill our ministry of the gospel. Our church exists, yes, as a place for fellowship, yes, as a place to raise up and worship God on holy days like Christmas and Easter, yes, as a place to sing to God, but also and primarily a place to fulfill the gospel ministry, which means we are the ones who are called to reach our next-door neighbors. You want to hear God's plan for reaching Haverhill, the greater Haverhill area? You and me. This is what, that's why our church exists here, to do the evangelism to love our neighbor and for 256 years this church has not only sought to do that but to send out folks to the nations and every generation has sought to do that let me say one more thing about this before we move on the nations are coming to us so it's not just about going to the nations now because here in the united states our next door neighbor perhaps is from an unreached people group of the world That's the great thing about it. They're they're literally in our backyard here in, well, not literally in our backyard. In the backyard of our church, perhaps, yes. There are people, part of countries and ethnic groups who don't even have a viable witness for Jesus. God has given us the opportunity. I heard one person say, perhaps if we continue to fail to bring the gospel to this 40%, God will bring that 40% to us so that we can reach them. And then 20 to 21, Global Missions is ambitious to reach the unreached. It's ambitious to reach the unreached. Uh, Paul reveals his personal ambition. He says, my desire is to preach the gospel. No surprise. We know that's his his, his ambition. But more than that, he says, where Christ is not already known. Uh, my, My ambition, he says, is not to continue to build on someone else's foundation. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm spending my life doing, building on someone else's foundation. This church was started hundreds of years ago. Many, many faithful believers have worked towards it. I'm happy to spend my time building on others' foundations. In fact, I think that's what the majority of Christians do, is build on other foundations. But there is an ambition, perhaps we could even say it a priority, to bring the gospel where there is no foundation yet laid. And he ends by quoting Isaiah 52, 15 which is a very important passage, that's the suffering servant passage, 52 to 53, in which he quotes that those who have never heard 
will see. Those who have never heard will understand. And those uh, who have never been told will see. Paul's ambition is to reach the unreached people groups. And especially the unengaged unreached people groups that have nobody whatsoever reaching them. This is what I hope you sort of grasp during this fall sermon series. There is a priority when it comes to global missions. All missions is good. If you go into Boston and work at a food kitchen, that's a good thing. I've done that myself. It's a good work to do. Getting down and dirty with folks right here in our city, giving generously to local outreach right here, supporting Leaving the Streets Ministries, New Brothers Fellowship, Pregnancy Care Center, certainly Open Hearts Ministry, seeking to relieve the housing issues. These are all really, really good things. Going to reached countries around the world and helping alleviate poverty and suffering and doing medical missions. These are really, really good things. But there is a priority, biblically and practically to reach the ends of the earth. And friends, I would hope we would make it our ambition at FBC. We have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of people. Let's support that 3% that goes to reach the unreached. Let's make sure that the majority of our missions giving goes to that 1% that supports unreached people groups of the world, the two billion people yet to hear the name Jesus. By the way, our current missionaries, if you don't know this, I won't mention them by name, they serve in South Asia, in uh, the Jewish people here in the United States and around the world, in Japan, which is an unreached uh, country, I don't know if you know that, less than 3% believe, in Senegal, a predominantly Muslim country in Africa, and in the jungle, jungle region of Ecuador. In other words, most of our missionaries are going to unreached people groups around the world. Could it be? You know, we sometimes lament what's happening to the Christian faith here in America. Could it be that the plants, the seeds that we are planting around the globe today will be the very thing that rescues the Christian faith in the United States tomorrow. Global missions glorifies God. It's an act of worship. It's an offering to God. It fulfills the ministry of the gospel as it goes to the nations. And it is an ambition of God's people to bring it where there is no foundation. In 256 years of our church's history, the Bible has been brought into new languages. We actually have certificates of, hey, your church helped support this, the Bible being translated into this previously unengaged language. We're in each new tribes and new nations around the world. And perhaps the next 250 years then, we will continue to do our part in reaching the remaining 40%. That every dollar and every prayer and every trip that we take, and certainly every missionary we send around the world, will lead us to that day in which Christ returns and the nations are reached. I was on a trip to the 1040 window with my son. 
And we were staying, uh, we went to visit some missionaries, Western missionaries that were serving there. And my son asked the question, he said, uh, what's the Wi-Fi password, right? Which is what a 16-year-old at the time, a 16, would ask. And the missionary said, the Wi-Fi password is REV7 colon 9. And then the missionary said, why do you think that's my Wi-Fi password, Isaac? And Isaac said, Revelation 7-9. What is Revelation 7-9? After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Missions magnifies God. Would you pray with me? Father, what a reminder to us this morning as we've gathered to worship you that life is short and that eternity is right next to us, far closer than we perhaps even know And that the determining factor of eternity is whether we have a savior. I cannot save myself. I cannot. But I have a savior who is perfect and good and whose righteousness clothes me. me. And so, Father, we get to enjoy the hope of eternal life. But more, there's a mission given to us to see this message reach the ends of the earth. Help us to be about this business, Lord. Help us to do the work you are calling us to do in reaching the nations as we look forward to see this day in which every tongue and tribe and language will be gathered in glory and will praise the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.